welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by lead pastor Robert Herber. For more messages and resources, head to allpeopleschurch.org or download our free All People's app. How you doing? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22. Little disclaimer, I'm going to preach this sermon with a cough drop in my mouth. I started having a coughing fit in the last sermon. I actually had to call Kendall up in the middle of it and said, read the scripture for me. So we're going to pray that I make it through this one. Here's my question this morning. Have you ever been in a cave before? If you've been in a cave, raise your hand. Okay, who's been in a cave that's not like a tourist attraction, but an actual like off the trail, about half of us? I used to have as a hobby in college, believe it or not, spelunking. And it's not because I loved caves so much. It's actually just because my best friend was this avid hiker, camper. And so he would always love to find these off-the-beaten-path caves. And here's a picture of us, and that was actually our college pastor at the time, going down into these deep chasms in the earth. And I did that until I had this experience in the Philippines. And I was on a mission trip in the Philippines, and I should have caught my first clue when uh, these Filipino friends wanted to show us one of their beautiful national treasures of their country. And we get to this river, and we have to cross this raging river on a rope, like a single rope bridge. And one of our less coordinated team members falls off of it and like is hanging on to the bridge and getting almost dragged away in this raging river. And like we saved them. And I should have thought like, okay, Time to abort mission. We're done for the day. But no, we were young and courageous, overly courageous. So we finally find ourselves at the mouth of this cave. Second clue that we shouldn't be going into this cave was the huge bars on the front of the entrance and the sign that said, do not enter. Um, But then we saw like the historical marker next to it. This is where General Douglas MacArthur's troops hid in World War II. And it's just so enticing. And then like one of the slider Filipino friends like squeezes their way through the bars and shows us we can do it. So of course, yeah, great idea. Let's follow him. And so we get in, I realized there's no flashlights. I didn't know my friends had brought torches, like big wooden things with, with cloth wrapped on top and kerosene. And also we are Indiana Jones walking into this cave. And I think it's gonna be about 15 minutes in like a big open chasm the size of this room. And All of a sudden, we're going in, and it's getting smaller and smaller until we're finally on our hands and knees for 90 minutes going one way. Now, if you've ever spent any time in a different country, what you know is sometimes you eat a lot of food that messes with your stomach. And so I had had that, and I was in desperate need of a toilet about 90 minutes in. And so if you ever hear me talking about claustrophobia, this is where... I got my first encounter with claustrophobia is I have about seven friends in front of me, seven behind. I'm all my hands and knees. I'm hot because these huge torches are next to me. And then my stomach is like crazy messed up. And I started (laughs) hyperventilating. So I hadn't been in a cave since then, about 20 years ago until two years ago. I'm in England speaking at a church, and I have the afternoon off and talk to my friend about where I should take my family. And he goes, you need to go to the Peak District. And I go, oh, that's so cool. What should I do in the Peak District? He goes, well, there's some beautiful views, but there's also a cave there. And you need to take your family to this cave. I said, what's it called? He said, 
Here's what the cave is actually called. He said, it's the peak cavern. It's called the devil's, <coughs> right? I'm serious. Like the pastor tells me to take my family to the devil's, right, don't read it out loud. Okay, so call me slow, but I actually buy tickets for my family to go down into the devil's. Um, and so we go in and, and we're in this room. We all put hard hats on and then we start descending into this narrow chute. And I start like, <laughs> again, freaking out. I turn to my wife. I'm like, I can't do this. She's like, it's okay. Take off. I got this. And so I leave my wife and kids <laughs> to go into the devil's right? And, um, and while well, I go out and stand outside in a green meadow. So anyway, I'm not a big cave fan anymore. And um, here's what I don't like about caves. First of all, they're tight. They're tight places. They're not comfortable. They're hard, right? Um, I also don't like where you can't see where you're going. They're pitch dark. You don't know what's coming next. You could fall off something. You could land in water. And lastly, in all my years of spelunking uh, in these caves off the beaten paths in the Ozark Mountains, we never saw a soul. They're lonely places. And so you might be saying, okay, why are we talking about caves today? I'm a Southern Californian. I'm more like the beach or I'm an urban kind of person. You know, why are we talking about it? I just want to tell you that if you're a man or woman of God seeking after him, that God leads us into cave seasons. We end up in cave seasons. That's what we're going to talk about today in the life of Daniel, I mean, the life of David, when he ends up in a cave season. And here's why God lets us go into cave seasons. It's because in cave seasons, God creates character in us. In our cave seasons, God is creating character. So let's pick up on the story of David today. So you remember David was a shepherd boy. He was out in the fields. He gets called in by the the most known prophet, religious leader, Samuel. Samuel anoints him, says, you're going to be king. Amazing for this little teenage shepherd boy. And then David goes off and immediately has this unbelievable home run, grand slam event where he kills the greatest foe of the Israelites, the giant Goliath. And from there, he's swept in to the palace. He's carried on the shoulders. People are saying, David's killed his 10,000s. He's put in the palace, and it just looks like everything's going up. And then whoosh, the ground falls out from under him. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I mean, we, we, we get saved all of a sudden, people are saying amazing things are going to happen. And it's like at the beginning of your Christian life, you have beginner's luck, right? All these great things are happening. And then, boom, all of a sudden, you're in a cave. And you're thinking, what on earth just happened to me? And I just need to tell you, that is the normal life experience of a man or a woman who's truly seeking after God. Because in that experience, God is creating and crafting character in us. So how did David get in this situation? 1 Samuel 20 is where we're going to start. It says, Saul, King Saul, that is, the king of Israel, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. Jonathan's Saul's son, David's best friend. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you sided with the son of Jesse? That's David. Don't I know that you sided with David to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. 
At one moment, it seems like David's on this upward trajectory. He now has a golden ticket to the palace. He's on his way to being king. And then the next moment, the evil king turns on him and wants to kill him. It seems like everything is going wrong. And so that's where we end up in 1 Samuel 22. It says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. All of a sudden, David is trying to hide. He, he knows he could be killed, and he finds himself from the palace to the cave. Now, this is what we talked about as a leadership team of all peoples. This, this, this series we're in on David is not just prophetic of what happens in a believer's life, but it's also prophetic in the life of our church. You know, God had given us these amazing words as a church that, that would become a, a multi-ethnic church. We had a tiny little team that came out here. We, we didn't really know anyone when we came, and just a, a tiny team of people in their 20s, all one ethnicity, and God just, boom, this incredible act of making us a church of over 50 different nations. Incredible thing. Or we'd, we'd go up, and, and a lot of times churches plant with a lot of money. We had no money. But every time we'd, we'd need money to rent the next facility or, or, or to be able to pay our staff, boom, God would miraculously provide. You know, this year has been an amazing year for us. We, we end the year with this incredible Christmas musical. People are saying, man, that's like a, a professional thing. Could be in any theater. We had all these people come to Christ. God opens up the door for the Oregon Pavilion, the historic Oregon Pavilion. We have the biggest service in our history. And, you know, it just seems like everything's going like this. And then that last week of December, we get a letter from San Diego State, which San Diego State was an amazing open door to meet in their incredible facility, maybe the most known place in San Diego. And then, boom, a letter, hey, you can't meet here anymore. We'd lost our lease. And so we go from place to place looking for a place to house our, our church and two services, a place with parking, a place with enough restrooms so you don't have to have portable potties, uh, a place that we can house all our kids, and nothing opens up. And I start praying this prayer, oh, no, Lord, don't send us to the cave of Adullam, right? That's where David ended up. And, I, and that's what I was calling our office space here. I'm like, Lord, not the cave of Adullam, right? From, from going from the most known place to a, a place where no one can find us and a place with no potties, you know? And Lord, not the cave of Adullam. And we end up landing here. And of course, it's been wonderful. But what I know is God is creating in us character, because God takes you into cave seasons because he's creating things in you that will advance his kingdom. You know, that's what I found when, when I first started really walking with the Lord. I had been in rebellion in high school, and I got to college, and the Lord started getting a hold of my heart. And I'll never forget the, the time where I come to the front, I get on my knees, I surrender everything to God, and this woman comes up and puts her hand on me, and the power of God starts surging through me. It was unreal. And she ends up prophesying at the end of this long word for me. She says, God is going to raise you up as a leader in this generation. And I'm just booing. Wow, God, I don't deserve it. How can that happen? And I get up, and that night I lead my first person to the Lord, and I leave my second and third and fourth. I leave four people to the Lord. I lay hands on someone. Someone's miraculously healed, like stunning healing, and I'm thinking, I am the next Billy Graham. I have just stepped into my destiny, and I go home from that mission trip, and God says, you need to sell your nice car, and I'm like, no, 
And I sell my nice car. He says, you need to give your clothes away. I give my clothes away. You need to stay here in Waco, Texas. Don't go on and take this nice job that you want. And all of a sudden, I'm working a part-time job. I don't have nice clothes anymore, no nice car. And all my friends have left. And it was a very lonely cave season. And I'm thinking, what just happened? What just happened? I thought things were turning around great. Kind of like when we moved to San Diego, you know, we, we'd stayed in Texas and, and many of us were leading this big college ministry. It had grown to hundreds and hundreds of people and we were planting churches all over and having these massive conferences. We had just taken 600 people, 600 college students on a mission trip in Mexico. It was like the biggest mission trip I had heard of. And we come here and, and, and I can't even find a house to live in. And, and the one thing we had going for us is we had a connection at Panera Bread, and they give us their day-old bread. And so we thought, this is it. We're going to walk around and, and give away free bread. And so we would walk the streets, because we knew no one. We would walk the streets trying to give away free bread, and no one would take it. <laughs> no one would even take our free bread. I was like, what happened to us? And, and, and so then I remember we ended up taking our, our first mission trip to Mexico, uh, and we actually had to because Kendall put it on the website on accident. And then people asked about it. And I was like, Kendall, we're not ready to take a mission trip. And we have to now because you said we were. And, and so we had three people go. Okay. I had just led a trip of 600. We had three people go. The, the first person that went was, uh, was this homeless gentleman uh, who was an alcoholic. And he showed up on the trip absolutely snockered. I mean, this guy, that means drunk in case you... Don't speak that language. He was so drunk. He shows up drunk. I'm like, no. And then the other guy that came was a blood, like one of the gang member bloods. And so when we drove across the border, he's hiding in the back of my truck. And then the last one, we had one college student. But the day we got back from the mission trip, she left our church. <laughs> it was horrible. It was a cave season. But God was using it to craft in us Character. Look, look at what it says. I'm, I want to point some things out for Samuel 22. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. What, is, what does Adullam mean? I've been trying to teach you that whenever you see a, a word in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, uh, a location, it takes the time to, to mention the location. Research what that name means. Here's what Adullam means. The first meaning is it comes from the root word to hide. David was now taken into a hidden season. We don't like hidden seasons. We like times when, when, when we're known, when, when it's prominent. But that's where God really works out our character. But it's also where God does something else is very powerful. Cave seasons are where God births true community. It's when we're in seasons of hiddenness that we understand the relationships formed there are authentic, godly friendships. You know, the, the other word for adullam is to bring justice. And you know, it's when we're in a cave season that we actually have to, to become confident in God's sovereignty, and it's because we can't see what's ahead. In fact, we can't ever see. We get these promises, these words from God, and then all of a sudden we end up in a cave season, and you're like, how could that ever happen? 
I don't understand how, God, what you spoke could ever happen because right now it just seems like everything is dark and closing in on me and and I'll never be out of here. And it's where we learn to have faith and confidence in God. You know, I, I was thinking about this last week, I, I, I went back to Waco, Texas to speak at a conference, and I had flown into Dallas, and I'm driving into Waco, and there's this huge billboard right when we're entering the city, and it's of these two faces, these two very famous people, Chip and Joanna Gaines, the, the ones who do Fixer Upper. Now, the funny thing for me is Chip was my buddy my freshman year in college. He's a total goofball. And, and so imagine you're driving into a city and you see your buddy from, from your younger years who is a total goofball as their face on a billboard saying, like, we welcome you to this city. I mean, that's how it feels for me. And, and, and yeah, they're, the, they're amazing people and they're very gifted. But here's the thing. I knew them right before they started this fixer-upper deal, they were, they were broke. They were about to be bankrupt. Uh, they were in distress. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, one of our friends films a, uh, films a little trailer. It's submitted to, to, the, to HGTV, and overnight, they become some of those famous people in America, actually in the world. And all of a sudden, everyone wants to be their friend. Everyone's drawn to them. Everyone's calling them for a favor. Everyone's asking them for something. Now, it's crazy what we, what we do as humans with famous people, with prominent people, right? But, but the funny thing is, it was, it was just yesterday that they, that they were broke and, and, and almost bankrupt. And you know, it's interesting because that's who their closest friends are, was the friends that were with them in that season, right? You know, the reason that God takes us into to cave seasons is because we understand who our true friends are in those seasons. Because we understand they love us for who we are, not what we have. Let me just say that again. In a cave season, you understand the people who love you for who you are, not what you have. For what's in your heart, not what's in your wallet, right? Right, for, for, for your character, right? And so that's what God was doing in, in this cave season is it says that all these people were called to David. Now, let me just show you the kind of friends that David got. It might encourage you this morning. It says this, that who came to David? It says all that were in distress, that means suffering and in pain. That's what the word distress means. So everyone that was suffering and in pain, they came to David. And it says all those in debt, that means financial brokenness, and it says everyone who is discontent, which means discontent, right? Those are emotional challenges. So imagine you're in a cave, like you you just lost everything. David lost his job, right? David lost his, his family. David lost his place in the palace. David has, you know, an evil person hunting him, and all of a sudden, everyone that's suffering and in pain, everyone that's broke, and everyone that's discontent comes and joins him in the cave. Awesome, right? All you need when you're stuck in a cave is more discontent people surrounding you, right? You know, that's how it felt when we launched All People's Church. We didn't know anyone. We get here, and we start reaching out to students, mostly students that didn't know Jesus. And then we went into the inner city and started reaching street kids that didn't have homes. And so we're we're gathering them together. That was our our church in the beginning. And then 
So people got excited about how many people were coming to the Lord and who we were reaching, and so they started showing up, and people would show up, and they actually, you know, were dressed decent, and they actually looked like they had jobs, which no one else had jobs, and you're thinking, okay, someone's got to have a job so we can have some food on the table and a place to meet. Like, someone has to have a little money, and, and we'd meet and be like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what do you do? And they'd be like, I just lost my job. Like, oh, no. You know, and then, hey, how are you doing? Well, we just were bankrupt. And I'm like, God, everyone, you're bringing to us. Like, everyone is in debt. Lord, every single person. Everyone, everyone was in debt. Or, you know, and I finally meet someone that looked like a leader. How are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm in a depression. I'm like, that's depressing, man. You know, <laughs> but I, start, I started realizing, like, God, these are the people you're bringing to us. And here is why God brings those kind of people. Because if you're a leader and you'll meet them in their pain and meet them in their brokenness and meet them in that place of need and help them, people love you loyally. You see, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. Let me explain it to you through one of Jesus' stories in Luke 7. Verse 44 says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, to give you a little background of the story, Simon is a, is a religious leader, and he's offended because this woman with a bad reputation has come in, and Jesus is in there, and she's just like pouring over Jesus, and she's crying, and her tears are falling on his feet, and she's wiping them, and she's pouring perfume on him, and he's like, don't you know who this woman is, Jesus? And Jesus basically says, hey, verse 40. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. You know why Jesus brought together those in debt and distress and discontented is because when they get put back together, they love wholeheartedly. Right? Those people want to give their whole lives to God, and they're so thankful for anyone who accepted them in the midst of their pain, so they become David's mighty men. God has chosen the poor, the broken, those who are in heartache that know their need so that when they're accepted and loved, they're loyal forever. And so that's what God was doing. And so let me just tell you, if you're a life group leader in this room, or if you're looking around at all your friends and you're like, why is everyone so broken around me? It's because God is wanting to raise up a next generation of David's mighty men. That's who God is choosing. That's who God wants to use. And when he does it, he gets all the glory. Because people say, wow, look what God has done. There's one more point that I wanna give you today. I'm only giving you two points today. The cave creates true community. Secondly, the cave creates communion with God. The cave creates, that. those cave seasons are a place of communion with God. Now here's the thing I love about studying the life of David is unlike most other characters in the Bible, we not only get like the historical account of his life in 1 Samuel, but then we get to read his journal in the book of Psalms. So we're told what was happening in one book, but then he opens up his heart and tells us what was going on 
internally, emotionally, and spiritually through the book of Psalms. The most of the book of Psalms is written by David. And so you can find different experiences he was having or different parts of his story, and then you can read the concurrent psalm that he was writing in it. So Psalm 57, I want you to turn there with me. Psalm 57 is David's journal entry when he's in the cave of Adullam. Now listen to this. I'm going to read the whole thing, so pay close attention. It says, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, right? He's crying out for mercy, right? Like, God, I'm stuck in this cave. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sent forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Like David's going, these guys, they want to kill me. They're like lions trying to devour me. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they've fallen into it themselves. Verse 7, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Okay, so David's in a cave. He's lost his job. He's lost his family, right? He's, he's lost his home. He's homeless. He's jobless. He's broke and he's hunted by an evil king. He can't call the police. The police are on the bad king's side. Everything is against him. And he says this, my heart is steadfast, O Lord. You're like, what the heck, David? Like, what is wrong with you? You should not be steadfast right now. Like, man, in college, I could get a bad grade on a paper. And I was like, no, Lord, my life's falling apart, right? You know, like I had a bad date. No, I'm doomed, right? I mean, I, I, could, I could freak out about anything. David has lost everything, and he's living in a cave for crying out loud. And he's like, my heart is steadfast, oh Lord. How in the world could this man be steadfast when everything is against him, and he's about to be killed? Let me give you the secret. I saw it for the first time this week. It's in verse eight. David says this, awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. What does that mean, I will awaken the dawn? David meant I'm getting up early to seek God. Can I just tell you that cave time makes us desperate for face time? That in your cave seasons, that's where you become absolutely dependent on being with Jesus. And so before now, we, we hadn't seen that. We hadn't seen, David. I mean, <coughs> in fact, if you study some of these chapters, David's done some dumb things, but he gets in the cave and it's lonely and it's confined and it's constricted and he can't see and he realizes, I've got to wake up and I'm in such depression, I'm in such despair, everything's going against me that I got to meet with God. And he starts meeting with God. I, I can just tell you, the first time my pastor said, you need to meet with God every morning, I was offended I was like, I am a night person and proud of it. And then I thought, Ann, I'm a college student for crying out loud. We don't get up in the morning. 
Period. We get up in the afternoon, right? And, and so, yeah, right. But I'm about to rebuke you. And uh, <laughs> close friend of mine. Uh, so, so here, here's the deal. He said, no, you got you to gotta wake up because you got to get yourself washed in the word before you ever start. And, and you got to seek the Lord so you can be filled up in him so you can take Jesus into your day because people need to receive Jesus from you, not your flesh. And, and God wants to speak to you about the things he's going to do that day. And that is how we can live a steadfast life in God. And so even though I'm a night person, even though I don't really like mornings, I realized when I started going into a low point in life and you start waking up and you don't even want to be awake that day, you don't even want to face the day, that's when you learn, I got to meet with God. I got to start in the word. I got to know who he is and who he says I am. I got to worship him. Here's the crazy thing about David. David says this. He's in a cave. He's lost everything. And I love this. David goes, I will sing and make music. Right? Now, who thinks about that in a cave when you're being hunted? Right? No, you think, I'm going to be quiet. I'm just going to hope that I make it. And David's like, no, bring me my harp. I want to sing in this cave. The acoustics are going to be great in here. Right? Can I just tell you, the harder life gets, the more you need to sing. The deeper the problems, the longer your song needs to be. Right? You got, and you might say, well, I, I don't sing. You know what? You need to sing because that's how God created the human soul. That only when we are singing with all our hearts is when we can find that place of comfort in his presence. Like you were created to sing. You were created to worship. Get lost in his presence through worship. So, uh, and you might say, I don't have time. I, I want to tell you, I am a very busy person. But the harder life gets and the more challenging it gets, the more I realize I need to escape into worship. And so that's how David, in the midst of losing everything, being homeless, being jobless, being hunted, being familyless, I, I bet no one in this room can say, I have every single one of those going for me. And if you say you can, I guarantee you, you're not hunted by a king and his whole army right now, right? But David says, I'm going to sing. I'm going to make music. And in the midst of that, he said, I'm steadfast. Right? He said, be exalted, oh God. Can I just tell you, when you start declaring the excellencies of God, when you start exalting God in your problems, they diminish. And his prominence starts growing in your mind. It changes your perspective. One of the greatest things you can do in a cave season is exalt God. Because you put him on his rightful place and your problems decrease in the midst of how glorious and how big he is. And then David did one other thing. He says, I cried out to God and he saved me. In our problems, we can focus so much on, on our little problems that we don't take the time to cry out to God. Can I just tell you, when a child cries out to their parent, a good parent swoops in to rescue them. I love it when my kids cry out to me. You know, like I, I remember we were in Peru and a pack of dogs came after my kids and they started screaming for me. Man, all of a sudden I was Superman. I took off after that pack of dogs. Those dogs didn't know what came after them. And I swooped up my kids and I was at those dogs, right? They took off running and I loved it. I wasn't like, bummer, I have to rescue my kids. I was like, oh, those dogs are going down. And that was a good day. You know, I walked up going, oh, yeah, what's up, dog? You know? <laughs> God loves to rescue his children when they cry out. Right? So let's stop just trying to figure out our problems and let's start crying out to God in our problems. 
And here's the thing. It's in our problems that God moves and we see miracles. Everybody wants a miracle. No one wants to be in a place where you have to have one. But if you want to live a miraculous life, you're going to walk into problems. Do you hear me? Like if you want to see miracles, you got to go where the problems are. In fact, let me be so bold as to say, if you just want a boring, dull, drab Christian life, then you're in the wrong church. Because God likes to take us into problem places. Like that's why we, we have focused on City Heights because when we came to San Diego, they said that's where the biggest problems are. And so we said, that, well, we got a big God who loves to fix problems. We'd love to be as little David going with our sling, right? Because God loves to take down giants, right? We're going to countries where there are big problems, right? And in the midst of problems, God sends his power. <sighs> Cry out to God. Here's the last thing I want to show you. One more journal entry from David. This is amazing. Psalm 16. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's in the midst of a challenging situation. He goes, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You see, it's in a cave situation where everything is stripped away that we understand, actually, Lord, you're the only good thing. Because we can get so deceived so quickly, our hearts can go after so many other things that it's when we get in a cave situation that we go, really, the only thing that can meet me, the only thing that can satisfy me is God. Lord, watch this, verse five. This is what a cave season will do in your life. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You know what? I find that a lot of times when everything's going good, that I can find my portion of my cup in, in the most random things, right? Like just a, a good football game and some guacamole, you know? Uh, it's, uh, but then it gets stripped away, and then I'm like, oh, God, I need you, right? And guacamole just leaves me empty, right? Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. You've made my lot secure. David is saying this in the midst of being hunted, He's saying, you've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Can I just tell you, there's a place that you can get in God that everything can be falling apart, and you can say, hey, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because you're so filled with Jesus, because you're so experiencing his presence that you, you live above all the trivialities of this world. About to start preaching, folks. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's in the cave season that we realize my joy doesn't come through external circumstances. My, my joy doesn't come in a, in a home. It doesn't come in a job. It doesn't come in having everything perfect with my family. It doesn't it come with being at peace with all people. My joy comes from the presence of God. There's a place in his presence that supersedes everything on this earth. And you, when you go deep, you go deep in that cave, then you go deep into the presence of God, and you become one who is a person after God's own heart. And that's what David became known as for the rest of his life. Don't waste your cave season. Let your cave season create you into the person God's called you to be. Don't we stand up? Father, we thank you. Just pray with me now. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us, Lord. Hey, if you're in a cave season today, just, just put your hands up before the Lord. We want to pray for you. Father, I pray for these ones. They know they're in a cave season, whether it's financially, 
today, whether it's relationally today. Maybe they're being persecuted in their workplace. Lord, I don't know what it is, but Lord, now just as your hands are up, just turn them up to receive from the Lord. Lord, I'm praying that they would be able to say, in your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would rather have your presence than to be out of the cave. So many of us are just probably crying out, God, get me out of this cave, when really the best thing we can say is, no, God, meet me in the cave. God, meet me in the cave, Lord. I want to meet with you. I want your presence, Lord. You alone are my portion and my cup. Just put your hands down. Just keep your eyes closed. We're, we're about to take communion. You know, we just said that in the cave, it creates true communion. God gave us the elements of communion, the bread. It says, this is my body, the body of Jesus broken for you. The blood, it's, this is the cup, it symbolizes my blood shed for you. And we get to take this bread and cup to remind us that we have free communion with Jesus 24-7, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. But before we do that, I just want to pray for anyone who is not 100% sure that, that Jesus is in their life, not 100% sure that God saved you. Just keep your eyes closed, everyone. If that's you today, you're not 100% sure, I just want to pray with you. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. He rose from the dead to take your sins away, to wash you clean, and to take you to be with him in heaven forever. If you need to give him your life today, if you need to come back to him, maybe you wandered far away from him, just pray with, with me right now. Just say this right after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'll follow you forever. Now, with everyone just closing their eyes, no one looking around, if that's you today, you said, yeah, Robert, I'm praying with you. I'm giving my life to Jesus, or I'm coming back to Jesus. I just want you to do this. I just want you to look up at me and wave real quick so I can pray over you. Just wave at me. Thank you so much. Who else? Just wave at me. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you so much. Who else? Just look up at me and wave. Thank you so much. I see you too. Thank you. I see you too. Who else? Thank you. I see you back there. Who else? If I haven't made eye contact with you, anyone else? Father, we just thank you for all these different ones praying and giving their life to you today. We thank you that today's the day of their salvation. They never have to wonder again, are my sins forgiven? You're coming into their heart, Lord. Fill them with the Holy Spirit that they'll walk with you the rest of the days of their life. Amen.